Thanks for joining us today for another daily devotion. And as we make our way through the Gospel of John, we're here in John 17. And we get to see Jesus' high priestly prayer. And, uh, and in it, we get to see some things that Jesus explains that he hasn't explicitly explained before in the Gospel. Nope, I don't like that. Let me, uh, let me start over again, Hannah. Well, thanks for joining us today for another daily devotion, and today we're in John chapter 17, and we really get to see some glorious and amazing things here in God's Word. You know, I can remember as a child being amazed at the inner workings of different things. I can remember being on vacation and going to Lake Havasu and going to the Parker Dam, and uh, we were able to take a tour and go down and see the inner workings of this electric generation that uh, the dam was able to, to make. And you could see the big shaft for these turbines that were connected to the generators. They actually let us reach out and we could, we could feel them. They were a polished steel shaft that were about as big around as this table. And it didn't even feel like they were moving because it was so smooth and so balanced. And just seeing the inner workings of this huge dam and being able to observe that was really neat. I can remember uh, as I got a little bit older, uh, starting to work on little engines, taking apart a weed whacker engine or taking apart a lawnmower engine. And you see all of the gears in there and you see the detail and just how it was constructed. And then as uh, you get older, you start to work on other things, cars and taking, taking apart the motors and just seeing those inner workings. That was always so fascinating to me. Well, today in our passage, we get to see the inner working between the Father and the Son. It's like Jesus opens up the engine and he lets us see all of the parts. And here in John 17, we get to see uh, Jesus's relationship and his working with the Father. And this is what's called the high priestly prayer of Jesus. We see that in John 17, and we're just going to work our way through it. And we're going to see a, a couple aspects here that are just so important. And, uh, and the first we see is Christ's glory, the glory that he had with the Father. It says in verse 1, Jesus spoke these things, or after Jesus spoke these things, he looked up to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son so that the Son may glorify you. For you gave him authority over all flesh, and so he may give eternal life to all whom you have given him. This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and the one whom you have sent, Jesus Christ. I have glorified you on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. Now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory that I had before the world existed. So we see the glory of Christ. We see that Jesus is equal with the Father. <clears throat> we see that salvation is in Christ and in the Father. That this is an admission of Jesus' A coexistence with the Father, his eternality with the Father, his ability to save uh, as God. And so all of these aspects really just highlight that Jesus is God. He is God the Son. And so it gives us a wonderful insight into the Trinity. That is the Father God? Yes. Is the Son God? Yes. There is one God, and they eternally exist in three persons. And so you see this here, and Jesus says, You've given them to me that they may have eternal life, and eternal life is knowing you and knowing me. 
And this begins a theme of the unity that we have between the Father and the Son that Jesus speaks about in John 17. You know, uh, Jesus speaks about how the Father gave them to him, that the, the Father has appointed people unto salvation, and he's given them to Christ, and Christ is going to save them. If you look down, we, we see that Jesus is praying for these believers, not just his disciples, but for every believer that would exist throughout history. We see in verse 9, he said, I pray for them. And I am not praying for the world, but for those that you have given me, because they are yours. Everything I have is yours, and everything that you have is mine, and I have been glorified in them. So Jesus is saying, Father, you have given them to me, and, uh, and they are yours. And everything that I have is yours, and everything that you have is mine. And so you have this insight into Jesus' equality with the Father. What belongs to the Father belongs to the Son, and what belongs to the Son belongs to the Father. This is one of the main points that Jesus made in his disputations with the Pharisees, because he was saying, you can't claim to know the Father, you can't claim to know God without also knowing me. If you knew God, you would know me. If you knew the Father, you would accept the Son, because the Father and Son are indivisible. And so here Jesus says, everything I have is yours, and everything that you have is mine, and so there's this perfect unity that they have. And so Jesus is talking about uh, the glory that he had with the Father. And he's asking the Father, glorify me with the, Father, with the glory that I had uh, before the foundations of this world. And so you see that this is uh, a prerogative of God, that we see Christ's glory and it's displayed in the salvation, his uh, eternality with the Father, uh, his equality with the Father, all of these things. Well, Jesus shifts gears here, and as he prays for his disciples and for the believers that would exist throughout history, he prays for their protection. And that makes sense because Jesus is a good shepherd, that he, he shepherds and he protects his flock. If you look down at verse 11, he says, I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world. And I am coming to you, Holy Father, protect them by your name that you have given me so that they may be one as we are one. So Jesus is praying for every believer's protection. He's praying for their unity, that they would be unified with God, that they would really have this spiritual benefit and blessing of unity. You see in verse 12, he says, While I was with them, I was protecting them by your name that you have given me. I guarded them, and not one of them was lost, except the son of destruction, so that the scriptures may be fulfilled. So Jesus says, I protected them. Not one was lost. Now he refers to Judas Iscariot, the one who was appointed to betray him. That was according to God's plan. This wasn't that Jesus somehow failed. It was that Jesus needed to be betrayed, and this was appointed uh, unto Judas Iscariot. And so Jesus says, I guarded them. I protected them while I was in the world. Now that I'm not going to be in the world, Father, would you protect them? Would you guard them? And so you see Jesus not only praying and asking for God's glory to be displayed on him, but that the Father would protect them as Jesus is not there in the world to protect them any longer. If you look down at verse 14, Jesus says, I've given them your word, and the world hated them because they are not of the world, as I am not of the world. 
I am not praying that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. So Jesus is praying for their spiritual protection, for their sanctification. He's praying for their walk, that they would continue walking, that they wouldn't be distracted, that they would not fall away. He's not necessarily praying for their physical protection, but he's praying for their spiritual protection, that they would be able to stand and endure and be faithful to God no matter what. And so he prays for that protection. And then transitioning from that prayer for protection, you see that Jesus transitions into sanctifying them. Not not just that they would endure and that they would remain faithful, but they would, would grow in their sanctification, that they would be continually set apart and that there would be this further transformation in their life. And he talked about uh, being sanctified, sanctified in the truth. Jesus says, your word is truth. And he goes on in verse 18, as you have sent me into the world, I have also sent them into the world. I sanctify myself for them so that they may be sanctified by the truth. I pray not only for these, but also for those who believe in me through their message. So Jesus is praying for the disciples that they would be sanctified and that they would be established in the truth, that they would be set apart for God's service. But Jesus doesn't just pray for his 11 disciples here. He's praying for all of the disciples of Christ that would respond to the message of the 11. He's praying for you and for me. Look at what he says. He says, I pray not only for these, in verse 20, but for those who believe in me through their message. May they all be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you. May they also be one in us so that the world may believe that you sent me. And so Jesus prays not only for the disciples' sanctification, but for our sanctification, that we would be set apart, that we would be sanctified, that we would be growing in godliness, and that we would be one and that we would be unified just as God is one. There's no division between the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. We see that Jesus opens up the Trinity to us, and we're able to see the inner workings of the Father and the Son, that there's perfect unity. And here, Jesus, he prays that the disciples and for every believer in history would be unified, that we would have true unity and that we would be grounded in the common truth and that we would be sanctified by that truth and that we would be one as God is one. And, and through that, the world would know that the Father has sent the Son. You know, when Christians act in unity and when we love in a way that imitates the Godhead with perfect love and unity and voluntary submission, what we see is that when, when, when we imitate that, the world sees that as out of this world, that it's different, it's distinct. And so that gives credence and it gives a verification that there's something to the gospel. There's something to the truth of Christ and salvation in his name. And so Jesus says, hey, you know, I pray that they would be one as you are one so that the world would see, that they would believe and understand that you sent me. Jesus goes on in verse 22. He says, I gave them the glory that you gave me. May they be one as we are one. I am in them and you are in me. 
May they be made completely one so that the world may know that you sent me and have loved them as you love me. Father, I desire that those that you have given me to be with me where I am, then they will see my glory, which you have given me because you love me before the foundation of the world. You know, there's there's one last truth that's really amazing. Uh, I don't know how many times I talk with people and the conversation turns towards longing for heaven. Man, I can't wait. I can't wait till the Lord re- returns. Can't wait till that day that I get to be with the Lord. Some of our uh, prime timers, they're in their 80s and 90s, and they talk about, you know, I'm waiting for the Lord to call me home. I want to be there. And you know what? It's not just believers that are longing for heaven. What do we see here in the passage? We see that Jesus is longing for us to be in heaven. If you look down in verse 24, he says, Father, I desire those that you have given me to be with me where I am. Then they will see my glory, which you have given me because you love me before the world's foundation. Jesus says, Father, I'm longing for them to get to heaven. I'm longing for them to be with me, that they would see my glory. You know, it's a special thing for us to think about, man, I'm looking forward to heaven. I want to be there with the Lord. But it's even more special that the Lord is saying, I'm looking forward for them to be with me. I I want them to be with me. And so he's praying to the Father for those ends. And we know that all that the Lord saves, he's going to bring them safely to heaven, that he's not going to lose any whom the Lord has appointed unto salvation. And so we get to see this wonderful inner working of the Father and the Son as Christ prays. He opens up and we see these details of the love and the fellowship and the unity between the Son and the Father. And we see how the Father and the Son are calling believers to join in that, that that we would be one as they are one, that we would have fellowship with them, that we would be with Christ, and that we would be there in heaven. You know, the love that God has is a love that it starts among the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, but they invite and they call in sinners to repent, to be saved, and to have fellowship with the Almighty. What a wonderful truth of the gospel. So I hope you're encouraged by that today. Take some time to read and study in John 17. You can look at more of these in detail. But until then, I'll see you next week. God bless. Bye-bye.